Hey, this is Ed Luther, pastor of City Church in Australia. I hope that today's podcast really inspires you. Thank you so much for listening. So one of the things that, um, oh, there's a few things that kind of get up my nose, but I don't want to preach a get up my nose message tonight. Uh, but when people treat the things of God as commonplace or common currency or just ordinary, and, and then nothing happens, and then, you know, everybody comes up with excuses on why stuff doesn't happen, it's because, you know, we're treating something precious, ordinary. And I recall a, a, a true story, actually, um, about the South African diamonds that were discovered. And the queen had heard about these diamonds in South Africa, so she sent her diamond connoisseur to go and, and check it out, see if it was true that the diamond mine there, one of the diamond mines, had uh, massive diamonds. And so she sent uh, a team to go and, and check it out. And, and the man that was in charge of the, the royal um, diamonds, the, the crown jewels, he was on his horse riding through with his entourage, and he saw these children, and they were playing marbles in the dirt. And he, he dismounted and, and, and had a look because he thought he saw a glimmer uh, in the marbles. And so when he got off, he, he, he said, can I see one of those? And he looked at it, and, and behold, there were diamonds the size of marbles. And this is it. The children were playing with diamonds that were worth an absolute fortune, but they didn't realize it. And sometimes I think that typifies uh, the Christian life for some people. We're, we're messing around with stuff that we have no idea how valuable and how precious that what we've actually been given uh, eternal life and the presence of God uh, on demand, really. I mean, God in us, the hope of glory, Christ in you, to, to walk with the presence of Almighty God, the very person in the Holy Spirit, to be able to walk everywhere, <laughs> everywhere you go, everywhere, with God inside of you. They didn't have that before the cross. They didn't actually have that before Pentecost, I'll be more accurate. Uh, the saints of old would have they looked with longing eyes about the promises that were given that hadn't been fulfilled yet. The disciples, when Jesus said, it's better for you that I go away. And they, I would have gone, what? How, how can it be better for us if you go away? Like, we got God with us. How, how much better does it get? And, and he said, it's expedient. It's better for you if I go away, because if I don't go away, then the helper, the comforter is not going to come. The Holy Spirit won't come unless I leave. He had to exit so the Holy Spirit could come. Well, the Holy Spirit did something that Jesus couldn't do, and that is that he could be in every single person, every single believer, everybody that calls upon the name of the Lord. The Holy Spirit could be with every single one of us. And on the, on the day of Pentecost, when uh, the prophet Joel had prophesied this, that on that day, my spirit will be upon all flesh, Male, female, young, and old, everybody is going to get me. And, and that day came, and it was better for us because now we can walk around with God on the inside of us in every situation and everywhere that we go. I find that magnificent, but I find that some people are treating that like common currency, almost like playing with diamonds, but they don't realize that they're diamonds. They think that they're marbles. And they think that anybody with the Spirit of God in them that confesses that has marbles in their head. 
And uh, I'd like to set the record straight right now that God on the inside of you, God on the inside of me, is the greatest gift that you could ever, ever have. Far greater than diamonds, far greater than rubies, far greater than gold, far greater than anything else. There isn't anything better than having Almighty God on the inside of you. That is, that is a, 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 you know, could spend all day talking about that alone and probably should actually, but, uh, you know, I want to talk this morning about something that can happen when you're aware of that. And it's something that uh, a lot of us don't understand that when we walk into a room with God on the inside and we're aware of that, the atmosphere of that room has to shift. If it's not lined up with heaven, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, you know, the Lord's Prayer. If it's, if it's contrary to the atmosphere that God wants, the atmosphere of heaven, the very air, the, 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 the heavenly air, so to speak, and in particular, if it's not an atmosphere where faith is present and faith is conducive, then it has to bow its knee. The atmosphere has to bow its knee to the greater one in thee, if you want me to po poetry a little bit there. But, uh, you know, it's got to bow to faith, but it's up to us to make that happen. You see, it's not going to happen by default. It's going to happen by design. It's going to happen very intentional. And so I want us to go over to Mark uh, chapter 5. And in Mark chapter 5, there's a man that encounters probably one of life's most difficult situations. He's got a 12-year-old daughter. And the Bible tells us that a little bit later in the account. His name is Jairus, which means God uh, enlightens. And he is a, a ruler of the synagogue. He is a very high, powerful man in his day. He has the robes. He has the title. He, uh, you know, he, what he says goes, the, the state of Israel and the religion, the nation and religion were, were one. They were inseparable, a lot like kingdoms like Saudi Arabia today. Uh, you know, Islam and Saudi Arabia are one. They're, they don't have a separation of church and state like we do. They're, they're one, one deal. And Israel was like that. The church and the state were one deal. And this man that, that was a ruler of a synagogue, he was a, a big deal. This J. Iris was not an ordinary man. He was the kind of person that if he walked into a room or he, or he walked down the street or there was a situation, it would be like today like the president or prime ministers or the queen or somebody walking past. It's like you better watch yourself. You better respect that person. You better honor that person. That person holds a very, very high, highly esteemed position in the nation. And so this man has a crisis. His 12-year-old daughter is dying. And there's nothing he can do in the natural to save her. He's desperate. He's be, beside himself. I, you know, thinking about this, I, I think, wow, like if you're a parent here and, and it was your, your son or your daughter or if you're a grandparent, your, your grandchild, if you're uh, a brother or sister, you've got a sibling or, you know, whatever, it's, it's somebody that he dearly, he would, he would gladly die, he would gladly give, his, give anything to see this not happen. His 12-year-old precious daughter is on death's door. And there's only one person that could do anything about it. It wasn't the quackery of medicine back then. 
It wasn't going to happen through, perhaps, you know, he went to the occult or to magicians or soothsayers. I don't know what he did out of desperation, but he knew there was one person that walked on the earth that had the power over death itself, that had the power to work miracles. He knew the power that, that was in Jesus Christ walking the earth. And so he makes a, a, a purposeful attempt to have an encounter with God. And we pick this up in, in, uh, in, in Mark chapter 5, and we pick it up in, uh, in verse 21. And it says here, When Jesus had again crossed over by the boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him when he was by the lake. And one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. And he pleaded earnestly with him, my little daughter is dying. Please come, put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. And I love this next sentence here, in verse, this next verse in verse 24. So Jesus went with him. Isn't that amazing? Jesus didn't stop and go, wait a minute. Do you, do you understand, man? Like, I've got this massive crowd. Everybody wants a piece of me. I'm a busy person. I'm a tired Messiah. I've got a schedule. I can't just, you know, drop everything because you got the robes and the title. It doesn't mean much to me anyway. You're looking at the King of Kings and, and the Lord of Lords. I, I created everything, man, like, like seriously. But this man is so earnest and so, so desperate that he assumes a different posture. And this is point number one if you're taking notes. To change an atmosphere from whatever that atmosphere is, uh, doubt, unbelief, negativity, when you walk into a room, to see an atmosphere shift into an atmosphere of faith, you have to assume a different posture than the way you would carry yourselves in the natural. You cannot, in your own accord, in your own power, in your own privilege, in your own position, you cannot shift an atmosphere into an atmosphere of faith except God shows up. Do you understand that? If God doesn't show up, the atmosphere is not going to change. This man's robes, his position, his title, the fact that the crowds that were there to see Jesus were also aware of this man's presence, that was not going to shift the atmosphere of faith. He had to take on a different posture. Now, one of the reasons that I started going to the gym is somebody, a doctor said, hey, your posture is really bad. I was getting headaches, and they said, you're hunched over a lot. We noticed the way you're walking, and uh, you're not carrying yourself very well. You need to start exercising your back so that your shoulders come back, and, and that's probably one of the reasons that you're getting, you know, these, these headaches is that you're, you're hunched over all the time. And I, and I realized unless, unless I worked out something, uh, you know, on, the, on the, the, the kind of the invisible side, not looking the mere side, but, you know, unless I got my back muscles engaged and pulled everything back, my posture wasn't going to change. If my posture di didn't change, then my situation wasn't going to change. And some of us need to get our posture right. We need to get a posture like Jairus did and humble ourselves and realize that prayer is a posture. Prayer is the language of humility. It says, I can't do it. I'm, I'm, I'm totally dependent on you, God. It's a language of, of dependence on God. I'm going to posture myself purposely and throw myself before you, almighty God, and I'm going to petition your throne, and I'm going to draw on power that I just don't have in the natural, and that will, that will bring in a 
atmosphere of faith into a situation where you need a, a miracle. This man needs a, a miracle. And so it says here that, uh, that when uh, it says that Jesus went with him and a large crowd followed and pressed around him. Now, this crowd is like uh, annoying. When you want a miracle and other people are, are, are in the way, they're kind of like speed bumps. You know, I'm in a hurry to get someplace. What are you doing in my way? Get out of my way. And a large crowd followed. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding, get this, for 12 years, same uh, amount of years that this man's daughter was. This woman has been bleeding the whole time that this man has enjoyed his 12-year-old daughter, this woman has lived a life of misery, and their lives intersect. The life of a desperate ruler of a synagogue intersects the life of a desperate woman who's put up with this for 12 years while he has enjoyed his daughter for 12 years. She has had the misery and the misfortune of not being able to go into the synagogue because she's got this bleeding problem. She was not allowed. She was considered unclean. She's got this problem of posture because she couldn't stand up straight. She had, uh, you know, bent over, and she had to control herself. And she's postured herself now at the feet of Jesus. And she had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors, it says, and spent all she had. Now she's broke because of all the quackery and everything. And it says here, instead of getting better, she got worse. She's probably some kind of discouraged. Have you ever been there before? She is some kind of probably despondent and, and wondering, what am I going to do here? She hears about the miracle worker. She hears about Jesus. She hears that God is in the room. She can do something about this. And when she heard about Jesus, it says she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. She had a posture of, I am going to receive. If I have to fight my way through all these ankles and all these legs and all the multitude of these other desperate people, I am up for a fight because I'm tired of putting up with 12 years of this bleeding and this misery, and there's somebody that's working miracles that's entered the, the world that I'm in, and I'm going to fight my way. And, and so she, too, wants to touch him. And because she thought it says, if I can just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Do You see, the posture of faith changes things. She knew that she wasn't playing around with something that, that you know, just marbles or something. She was uh, tapping into the very presence in, uh, of heaven, the very person that could heal her. And so verse 28, it says here, uh, immediately, I love that, immediately her bleeding stopped. And she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. See what happens when there's an atmosphere of, of faith? Things change. Things change immediately. Things, things have to get better when there's an atmosphere of faith. This is why we need to quit stuffing around and start to learn this stuff. Look, you know, the world's desperate. This woman is desperate. This man is desperate. How desperate are you? I hope that it doesn't take crisis to get you into a mode where you want to learn how to change an atmosphere. I've been practicing this and practicing this, and every day I get an opportunity for another day of practicing, getting an atmosphere to shift into an atmosphere of faith. The things that uh, we're talking about this morning, these things have been worked out. These things are so clear in the Word. We could go over to every single one of the Gospels, the Epistles, and you will find these principles are over and over 
again in the word, posture and prayer and, and humility. Humble yourselves, therefore, into the mighty hand of God, First Timothy. Uh, and, and God will exalt you in due time. Humble yourself. Throw yourself into, into God's power and presence and, and believe God and take him at his word. And at once, Jesus realized power, it says in verse 38, had gone out from him. And he turned around in the crowd and he said, who touched my clothes? Verse 31, you see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and you, and you can ask, who touched me? Are you crazy, man? There's 100,000 people here touching you. Like, why would you ask such a silly thing? In verse 20, uh, 32, he kept looking around to see who had done it. Uh, question, is Jesus looking around to see who had done it when it comes to church life, work life, everywhere that you go? Is he having to go, whoa, I felt something. There's been a, a demand place, the draw of the power from heaven that's gone down to work, uh, to earth. Rather. It's not just Thor, you know, and the Avengers. You know, we're the ones, that's, we need to be seeking event. We, there's a portal uh, from heaven into earth, and it's called your, your heart, and your faith needs to tap into that. And so verse 32, and Jesus kept looking around and seeing who'd done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, she came and she fell at his feet. And trembling with fear, she told him the whole truth. She thinks she's going to get in trouble for this. See, a lot of people still think they're going to get in trouble for God if they ask too much or put too big of an of a ask or, or, or demand on, on his power. Friends, he's not looking. You're not in trouble. He's pleased with that. He'll marvel at your faith or he'll marvel at your unbelief. Which way is it going to go? And he said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Notice what healed her. A lot of people have trouble when it comes to faith. I got accused several years ago by somebody that, that used to be in our church way, way back. And um, I was actually in Russia uh, on a, a missions trip. And w what had happened was in 2004, September the 1st, 2004, uh, Chechnyan terrorists had blown up a school full of children. There were 1,200 children in the school. They took them hostage. And before the siege, three days later, was finished, there were uh, almost 400 children that had died in that siege, and there were uh, also a lot of parents that rushed in and everything. We as a church felt that we had compassion. We felt, let's go, let's, uh, let's take up an offering. Let's, we did a play called, uh, Charles Dickens' play called Scrooge's Christmas Carol. Uh, we raised, uh, I think it was like 10,000 U.S., and, and I went there to present that. Talk about atmospheres. Uh, after very, very long plane flights, plural, and uh, the Siberian Airlines, which is worse than Aeroflot Airlines, which is way worse than any other airline I'd ever been on, and, uh, you know, with my underwear stuck to my backside, had had a shower, got off the plane, they said, oh, we want to take you to the graveyard just to show you the grave sites, and went there and saw these grave grave after grave after grave with the pictures of the children uh, on the grave site. The government had paid for this. And then toys and drinks. The terrorists wouldn't get, give the children anything to drink for three days. And they said, if you make any noise, we shoot you. A five-year-old squealed. They shot him. That was it. They took the teachers out, executed them. Terror has an atmosphere. Don't they know it? And don't they want to get that atmosphere of, of, of terrifying people uh, in, into the atmosphere 
And uh, when I looked at that, there was a man that was sitting there looking at, uh, at the grave marker, and there were three children. This, this man had lost all three of his children in this bombing. And he's sitting there. I don't speak Russian, and he was just sitting there, and he wasn't wanting to talk to me anyway. And, and he's looking at these toys that his children had. Uh, and I looked at the pictures of his sweet little loved dear children that he'd lost in this terrible attack. And I was wrecked. I hadn't even got to where they wanted me to go and speak at the Civic Center. I'm thinking, I didn't even know that. I was just going to give them the money, say, God bless you guys, you know, and, uh, and leave. <laughs> and so, you know, got to the, they said, well, you're going to the Civic Center to speak. And I'm like, speak? What do you mean speak? They said, yeah, we've, we've, we've invited the town to come together because, you, you, because of this gift from Australia. And, you know, you the speaker, it's like, we want you to share something. And I'm like, what the, what am I going to share? Like, this is like, I was wrecked and, um, and tired and, and didn't even have hardly enough, didn't even have enough time to have a shower. Went to the Civic Center. The place was packed. And it wasn't a church service. This is what, you know, really got me is I couldn't bring my Bible and just say, turn with me over to the book of Mark chapter 6 or something. They didn't have a Bible. A lot of them were, were not, they were, most of them weren't Christians. And, and I thought, what am I going to do? And so, they, you know, what, tell them a joke or something. Hey, have you heard the, you know, you, wow. And I walked in there and the atmosphere in that civic center, it was like, the Nambour Civic Center, something uh, in size, the atmosphere inside there was, it was terrible. It was so dark and so dismal, and you could cut grief. If grief, you could cut it with a knife, it was so bad. And, and I was just, my head was like, I, I was squirming, like thinking, I'm so far out of my comfort zone right now that this is, I've been in some, you know, I've did religious education at the high school. I've had kids yell at me. I've, you know, I've talked to atheists. I've had this. This one was it topped all the bad atmospheres I've ever ever been in. This was the worst atmosphere ever. And I'm thinking, this has to change. This atmosphere has to change. God, you you want an atmosphere of faith because you didn't send me clear over there just you know this is an opportunity now for people that that don't have any hope that people that need a miracle people that need a breakthrough there has to be light that has to come into this right now now help me find this light in the darkness help me find something lord to change this atmosphere into an atmosphere of faith well, we had visited just prior to that the school where all this stuff happened. And I'm not going to go too graphic, but the brains of the terrorists were still there and other things. Bullet holes and, you know, explosives and the smell of, uh, of the explosive was reeked. And all the children's books and everything they had, nobody could touch it. It was all over the hallways. Uh, some of them had little toys and things like that. All through, you're walking through there and you're just going, man, this place smells and all the, the heartache and everything else, and, and then going into that civic center and the darkness and everything and the hopelessness and the despair and the look of utter despair on the faces of these people that are staring at me. And I'm thinking, come on, God, come on. We've got, we've got to do something here. And so I just opened my mouth. God says, open your mouth, and I will fill it. So I did. I'm thinking, man, God, 
you're going to have to feel it. I can't say turn with me in the scripture. So I started to talk a, a, a little bit about how I really could not compare my life in any way, shape, or form with what they were going through, but I want to share a little bit of my testimony and the brokenness and the hurt and how God healed me and what God would do for them if, they, if, if, if he would give them a chance that God would, would come into their heart. And before it was over, there was about 20-something young men mostly that got saved uh, that evening because the atmosphere shifted when, when faith entered into that room. The atmosphere did shift in a big way. I could feel the presence of God, and boy, was I thankful. When you enter into a dark, uh, lifeless, dismal, terrified, fearful, whatever it is, atmosphere, maybe you enter into an atmosphere at home where there's been strife with mom and dad, or, or uh, you go to school, and it's just full of mockery and, 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 and people that are being dishonorable, or perhaps you come to church, and you enter into a conversation, and people have been gossiping, and you just know it, and it's, there's no faith in it. It's up to you to change that atmosphere. You have to take another posture, or God can't move. God moves where there's faith, and where there's no faith, he's not moving. I want God to move. How desperate are you? I am desperate for God to move in this community. I am desperate for God to move in this church, in this meeting tonight. I am desperate for God to move, and God will move when the atmosphere changes. Amen. So we don't, you know, people say playing church and all that. I've never played church. I refuse to play church. This isn't a silly game. We don't come here, all the happy, clappy crowd, all that kind. No, forget about all that nonsense. The whole purpose of tonight is to instill faith and to show you how you can shift atmospheres at your work, at your school, in your family, when you need a miracle, when somebody else needs a miracle. Are we going to put up with it? Are we going to play religion with marbles and think that we're playing around with this? Or are we going to get serious about it and start to learn this stuff? I don't want to wait till there's a crisis on the coast or my family and then scramble around. How do I get faith? Anybody got any ideas? No. We need to learn it now. Now. And so in, 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 this Jairus, he, he's, he's absolutely uh, beside himself. And, and, and this woman, she, she gets her miracle who touched me. And Jesus looks around. He sees her. Her faith has made you well, he says. And then verse 35, while Jesus was still speaking, some people. <laughs> Do you know there's always some people. And you know what? They're in churches. Bless their little hearts. Some people, they came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader, with such good news. I mean, they're so positive all the time, you know. I, I love the fact that your daughter is dead. Why bother the teacher anymore? Well, firstly, they had no idea who he was. They just thought he was a teacher. I would hope that you do teach, but I hope that you're more than just a teacher. I would hope that you're a doer. I would hope that you're a person that has tapped into the power of God, not just a teacher telling everybody what they should do, but somebody that actually demonstrates that power and can shift atmospheres. And so why bother the teacher anymore? But I love this, verse 30, uh, 36, it says in the NIV, it says, overhearing what they said, but I love the footnote here because it's in the New King James. It says, ignoring what they said. 
Jesus told him, don't be afraid, just believe. He is not going to let the atmosphere dissipate now because of an evil report. Oh, she's dead. Teacher, don't, don't bother him anymore. He's got, a, he's got other things. He's got a, a busy agenda. He's, got a, he's on the circuit. He needs to go to the next church. He needs to go to the, the next beach or whatever. Uh, don't bother him anymore. Don't waste your time. The, the news comes back. She's dead. It's over with. He didn't let anyone follow him, it says. Verse 37, except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. Do you know, there are times, bless our hearts, where we're too polite. And you're looking at somebody that probably doesn't get accused of that ever. (laughs) But there's a reason for it. And Jesus wouldn't let anybody else follow him. Who couldn't follow Jesus? Doubting Thomas was not allowed. Matthew, it doesn't say Matthew got got an invite. It was Peter, James, and John. The rest of you guys, go find something else to do. And the rest of the crowd, uh, you know, you better just don't bother because come with me, you guys. This is it. His inner circle, the ones that he knew would complement the the atmosphere of faith, not 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 turn the tide back and listen to the naysayer. Oh, she's dead and, and the doom and the gloom and all the, you know, let's just not, not operate in faith. But he would not let doubt and unbelief follow him into the room. And if you do that and you think you're polite, you think you're pleasing God, and you're, you know, you're going to play with that one, sometimes you got to make a decision. If you're going to come in, if you're going to be part of this, then speak faith for goodness sakes. Get in and let's believe together or get out one way or the other. If you get offended, get offended because I'm trying to change an atmosphere here. This is like dead raising stuff. I know I'm shouting. I'm getting a bit happy about this whole thing, but uh, I'm pretty passionate about it. I think you can tell that. He didn't let anybody follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the house of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion. This is another one. Oh, God. With people crying and wailing loudly. Bless their hearts. He went in and said to them, why all this commotion? And wailing. Imagine if I said, you go to a room and somebody's daughter's just died. <laughs> What's the big deal? <laughs> what are you guys crying about? Like, what? <laughs> Sometimes, you know, do you ever read the red letter, you know, the Jesus words that are in red letters in your Bible? Did you ever think, what if I said that? Seriously. I knew you didn't have any compassion. You don't care about people. No, he, he really did care about people. He really does care about people. Why, why all this commotion and wailing? I love this. The child's not dead, but asleep. They did what a lot of people do when you speak faith and operate in faith. Verse 40, they laughed at him. Don't be silly. Don't be stupid. When I came back from Russia... Some dear souls had signed a petition, and I was accused of being a blab it, grab it, name it, claim it, giving to get preacher. Blab it, grab it, 
name it, claim it, and <laughs> giving to get. <laughs> and I read that. And I thought, wow, somebody doesn't know my heart in any of this. And it got sent to my oversight, the state. This is a long time ago, so I'm not worried about it. They looked at it. They knew me. They ripped it up. So what? Big deal. But I thought to myself, God, is there any truth in this? Because I was pretty hurt. I'll be honest with you. Some of the people I'd given my life for them, I'd helped them through grief. These are people you don't know, so chill out. None of you were around back then. Well, maybe one or two, but not many. So I took it to God. I do all, I, I take everything to God. God, if there's truth in it, nail me. I'm teachable. I'll repent. So am I a name it, claim it, blab it, grab it, giving to get person? God said, I did all three of those. I was praying. He spoke to me. He said, I, I, I was all three of those. He said, name it and claim it. He said, I named you before the foundation of the world, and I claimed you as mine. Giving to get, I gave my only, only begotten son to get you. Blabbing and grabbing, I, I blabbed about you, and I grabbed you out of hell. I snatched you out of hell so you could go to heaven. I am a name it, claim it, blabbing and grabbing, giving to get God, and as my son, I am proud of you. I, I still get goosebumps about it. God spoke to me, and it was like I just went, yeah, come on, baby. I'm going to talk about this. I'm going to, I am going to be a name and claim it, giving to get, blab it, grab it, whatever preacher, and I'm going to care enough and let them all laugh. And they laughed at Jesus after he put them all out. He took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. And he took her by the hand and he said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, I say, get up. And immediately the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. <laughs> he gave strict orders not to tell anyone, not to let anyone rather know about this. And he told them, I like this finishing touch on the story. Give her something to eat. Don't you love that? That's Jesus. How do you shift an atmosphere? Again, because, you know, we walk into atmospheres daily, hourly, sometimes by the minute, and, they, and they're, they're not, most of them, let's face it, walking through life are not atmospheres of faith. And uh, if you're taking notes, stand up to whatever it is. You don't need to cower to it. Jairus stood up to it in faith, even though he bowed down. He was standing on the, uh, on the inside. He was standing up, realizing that something's got to change here, and I've got to touch, uh, uh, you know, the master here. I've got to get with the Lord. I've got to, I've got to see something change, and I've got to, and, and the woman with the issue of blood, she stood up to it. She didn't bow her knee and comp it for another 12 years. He didn't go, oh, well, I guess my daughter's going to die. He followed Jesus all the way. Stay close to Jesus. Let Jesus take you up. In other words, get up to where faith is. Get up to the level uh, where you're believing. I love the story of, of Hanley Page, who uh, he invented some of the early bombers that, um, I know they're terrible bombers and stuff, but, you know, f that were used during the, uh, uh, the, the, the end of the first war. 
And, and Hanley Page, in, in the early days of, uh, of flying, he was flying over the Amazon. And I've told the story before, but bears uh, telling again. And, and as he's flying over the Amazon, there's, he's in his small plane, and there's nowhere to land this thing. It's just jungle. Under, and he knows, you know, I've got to make it to the next runway. And he hears the sound that sends shivers through him. He hears this crunching noise and realizes that a rat is chewing through the cable that controls this, this airplane. And if this rat succeeds, he is going to crash in the jungle and burn and die. So he's thinking, what can I do? I, I can't release the controls or the plane's going to go out of control. I can't get back there where this rat is and, and you know, kill the rotten thing. So he does something very uncanny. He takes that plane and he puts it into a steep climb and he gets up to an atmosphere where rats can't live. Do you understand me? He gets up to an atmosphere and he stays there long enough until the crunching stops. Finally, when he finally lands the airplane, he crawls in the back and there next to a, a cable that was almost eaten through is a dead rat. Sometimes you and I need to get up to an atmosphere where the devil and his lies and his discouragement and, and, and all the negativity, we need to get with God, get close enough to God that we get into an atmosphere of heaven with God to where we're meeting with the Almighty so his will has to be done on earth as it is in heaven. We can't be living where rats live, listening to rats, believing for nothing and expect to have an atmosphere that's going to change things. You've got to climb that thing. You've got to climb in your vocabulary. You've got to stand up and you've got to speak up and climb up and get with God and meet with God. And that's why church is so important. People go, oh, you know, you don't have to go to church to be a Christian. What is wrong with you? Why would you say something like that? Seriously. You're void of any understanding when it comes to a worship service. One of the most important things about dragging yourself to church is to get into the worship and climb up and get into an atmosphere of faith and get into the clouds with God and get the presence of God and start to rejoice and start to sing things and get yourself out of the atmosphere that maybe you brought in with you that's clouded with darkness and negativity and can't do it and, all, and, and, and unbelief and get into to an atmosphere long enough that God can do something on the inside of you that you can go out and fill with the Holy Spirit and infect your world and change the atmospheres in that school, change the atmospheres at that job, change the atmosphere of your family. Whatever atmosphere needs changing, you've got to carry that on the inside of you. You've got to carry heaven. Amen. Thank you for listening to the City Church Podcast. If you enjoyed this message or God worked through you in any way, then please take a moment to contact us through our website at city-church.net or email us your feedback at info at city-church.net.